Isaac Shade here, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Join Andy Patton and me every Monday as we break down all the buzzer-beating action, conference rivalry games, and need-to-know bubble matchups ahead of the NCAA tournament. Check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. North Carolina wins round one against Duke, and here's the best news. It didn't take a Herculean effort from R.J. Davis to get there. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? It's Monday, February 5th, 2024. Welcome into the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to welcome you in, especially you everydayers, where you get your Tar Heels every day. If you're new to the show, we're glad you're here too. Come join the Locked On Tar Heels Discord community. It's a great time. It's free. It's incredible. And the link is in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs help find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job right now at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. North Carolina, massive win on Saturday night, 93-84 to over Duke inside the Smith Center. The Tar Heels are now 18-4, overall 10-1 in ACC play. As of the time of this recording, Carolina is 8th at Ken Palm, 20th in offensive efficiency, and 7th. In defensive efficiency, the Tar Heels are ninth in the net. We'll unpack some of that a little bit more later on. Coach Hubert Davis, now 3-3 three and three in his career against Duke. This was his first home win, though, and his first win over new Duke coach John Shire. As you probably know, this was the 49th top 10 meeting ever between these two programs coming in. The series was literally split 24-24 in such meetings, but now the Tar Heels lead it by one. We had a great live postcast after the game. Coach Pat Kilby joined me. If you missed out on that, I'm going to link to it up in the corner up here for those who are watching on YouTube right now. If you're listening to it, I will link to that live postcast in the show notes for you. So let's get into talking about this game at a big picture level. A lot of the granular stuff is what we typically handle in the live postcast. So make sure you check that out. But here's what I want to say. Didn't that feel wonderful? Carolina, you might not realize this, but the Tar Heels have won five of the last eight against Duke. And yes, that includes getting swept last year. Carolina controlled this basketball game. It was not some like back and forth affair where it's like, oh man, we got to make plays at the end. Duke scored at 19.39, led for the next 16 seconds until Armando Baycott scored Carolina's first bucket, and the Tar Heels never trailed again in this basketball game. And here's what I want to say to us all. From a big picture season-long perspective, the single most important thing that happened on Saturday, RJ Davis had a quote unquote off night in quotes because he still managed 17 points. That's the kind of year that he's having. And to be fair, much of that is not RJ necessarily having an off night so much as Duke was really uh, focused in on stopping RJ and what he was doing. But it's not just 
that RJ had again, a quote unquote off night, five of 14 from the field. It's that RJ had that kind of night against Carolina's bitter rival and the heels still managed to win quite comfortably. Thank you very much. Despite RJ doing that. I mean, if I told you pregame, Hey, look at halftime, RJ Davis is only going to have four points. And when the game's over, he will have only shot five of 14. You would not feel great about that and how the game would turn out. Right. And this is also critical. Let me give it some more context, thinking back to Tuesday night at Georgia Tech, where if we're being all if we're all being honest, we were very concerned with the Carolina offense outside of RJ Davis because nobody else was even in double figures on that night. So then, how incredibly perfect was it that in the very next game, as you go from a loss against Georgia Tech to playing Duke, RJ is limited to being Carolina's third leading scorer. That's right. RJ did not was not only not the leading scorer, he was not the second leading scorer in this game. And even so, North Carolina defeats Duke handily. That is so important for Carolina's development. Why? Because, why, why did this happen? Because the Carolina front court was the dominant force in this basketball game. And boy, if that doesn't give you all sorts of hope, and confidence for Carolina, not just from Saturday night, but going forward as we wrap up regular season play over the next nine games, along with ACC tournament and NCAA tournament, you should absolutely feel all sorts of confidence in that. This gives me more hope of what Carolina's ceiling could be. Take away RJ Davis? Fine. Look at what Mondo and Harrison Ingram are about to do to you. Take away Mondo? Cool. He'll kick it out to an open shooter. Take away Elliot Cadeau, no problem. RJ will run the show. Like These are the kind of things that you have to hope for. I, I am very hopeful. And, and I don't just think like from a hopeful standpoint, I think legitimately so that Tuesday night in Atlanta was more of a blip than a harbinger of things to come. I'm curious if you agree with that or not. Let me know in the comments. So what did that look like statistically? Well, it it's not just that Armando and Harrison did this. It's that after Duke took that two, nothing lead, Carolina was like, all right, here we go. Ball game, right? They, they grew out to a 10 point lead, had a 10 point lead at halftime. Duke made their runs. They cut it to as, uh, as few as seven, but never closer than that in the second half. And you knew Duke was going to push, right? Because they're Duke and it's Carolina and it's these games. Duke is going to push back. But they were never able to get it closer than seven because Carolina responded again and again and again and again. Big Duke play, Carolina response. Uh, Potential miscue, Carolina response. 50-50 ball, Carolina's got it. Like these are the kind of things that this tough and gritty team does. So how encouraging, one more time, let me just put it back in perspective, that R.J. Davis is the third leading scorer and Carolina still beats Duke by nine. I love it. So here, here's what it looked like statistically for the front court. Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram, 20.10 uh, rebound double-doubles for both of them. The, the first pair of Tar Heel teammates to do that since Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter did the same thing in 1998. For Armando specifically, he had 
25 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. Because when Duke brought those doubles, he was able to find shooters, whether it was kicking back out over to RJ Davis for one of his, you know, things like that, man. It was so well done from Armando. Five assists, just two turnovers, by the way, with that. Um, and so, and, and I, I was just so encouraged for Mondo to see that, you know, like in the, in the season where his statistical numbers outside of since the Tennessee game, that was the last time he scored 20 points to that point. He had had, I think four 20 point games, the first three games of the season, Mondo had 20 plus the Tennessee game and hadn't done it since. But then against Duke on the biggest stage of the season, does it gets to 25 tying that season high as for Harrison Ingram. My goodness, what a performance from our guy, Harrison Ingram. Career high five threes, a UNC high 21 points. That ties for the second highest in his career. He had 24 one time at Stanford. Um, Ingram finishes with um, 13 rebounds, four steals, a block, an assist, and just one turn. I mean, what a way to fill up the stat sheet for Harrison. Five of nine from three. Just great stuff. Um, overall, you look at it, he is still the leading ACC rebounder in conference only games. He's up to 11.6. Clemson's Ian Shefflin is the only other one in double digits in conference games. He has 13 plus rebounds, does Harrison Ingram, in five straight games. Double digit rebounds in eight of the last 10 and double doubles in five of the last seven. I mean, what Harrison Ingram is doing for Carolina right now cannot be praised enough. I know it's RJ that gets all the attention. And on a night like Saturday, so much of it is Mondo just because of everything he's done in his career. But good grief, Harrison Ingram. Wow, wow, wow. And here's what else I love about the dominance of these two front court guys in what they did Saturday night. They did it incredibly efficiently. They didn't need 20 shots to get to their 20 points. Combined, they were 18 of 25 from the field. That's 72%, even while Harrison's taken nine threes. That, that, like, that's factored into that. Phenomenal performance. You love to see it. And it's also, you know, we've been talking about the numbers of it right here and how they dominated the game, but it was the little things too. I mentioned 50-50 balls earlier. I think of two specific moments for Harrison Ingram. He had that one rebound. Um, where he just got up over everybody. It, a ball that I was like, oh, Duke's got a rebound there, fine, whatever. Um, tapped it. He was able to get it, kind of fell on the floor with it, kicked out, and it ultimately resulted in Cormac Ryan's second three over in the corner. There was another one um, later in the game where Harrison um, tipped it, an offensive rebound, that tip went to Cormac, who also tipped it. It went to Cadeau, who found Ingram back in the corner for a wide open three. It's just like, it's those kind of things. And Armando had plenty of those as well. I just wanted to point out those two from, from Harrison. And so, man, front court, phenomenal job. Carolina did not need RJ Davis to dominate in order to win this game. And that is key going forward. Another thing, look, we just talked about the offense. There was a couple key critical things that North Carolina did on defense that I want to point out that they stopped Duke from doing, that Duke's been doing really, really well lately. And I want to talk about that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. 
When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which has the right tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. It's not just some other job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire and give you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does while making the process both easy and intuitive. Hiring really is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, again, making the process even quicker and more efficient. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn jobs for hiring, so you should do the same. Post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We've talked so much about North Carolina's defense this season, but one of the critical matchups coming into this game was North Carolina's elite defense against Duke's elite offense. Two of the key factors in Duke's offense are, one, their three-point shooting, which they came in doing at a 38.7% clip this season. That's 15th in the nation. And also Tyrese Proctor, he had been banged up earlier in the season, but man, he had been on a tear of late as of the last five games heading into the Carolina game. But here's the great news for the Tar Heels. They were able to shut down both of those things. This was a key factor in Carolina winning this game. And when you look at the points per possession, Duke still did a very good job. They were up over one point per possession. In fact, it was the third highest PPP against Carolina this season. But the good news is, is that while the defense did just enough, Carolina's offense operated at its second highest efficiency of the entire season, just behind the Tennessee game. And so uh, the, the offense did more than enough and the defense did just enough to be able to stop it. Let's dig into the details of these two areas because it was really impressive to me. Let's start with Duke's three-point shooting. Only three prior to this game, only three times this season had Duke made five or fewer threes in an entire game. In this game, Duke went five of 19 from behind the arc. That's just 26.3%. Yet another game in which Carolina's three-point defense was on point. Uh, Duke in the first half shot three of eight from three. So I was like, all right, you know, maybe Duke's going to hit some three. Uh, that's 37.5%. But then in the second half, Carolina really put the clamps down and Duke went just two of 11. So made five of those 19 for the game. Meanwhile, Carolina made nine of 24. Heck, Harrison Ingram made as many threes by himself as the entire Duke roster. How about that? Try that on for size. So Duke came into the game averaging 8.4 made threes a game. They made five. Duke came in hitting 38.7% of their threes. Again, 15th in the nation. 
They only made five of 19, just 26% in this game. So Carolina held them 12.4% below their season average. Now, Carolina won the statistical battle in most of the areas you look at. One in which Duke won, and the only one they won handily, I guess I would say, is points in the paint. But to me, this is by design for Carolina as they were more concerned with, hey, let's not get beat on threes. Let's force Duke to beat us inside where that's going to be tough because that means they either got to get to the rim or somebody like Kyle Filipowski or Ryan Young is scoring over Armando Baycott and Jalen Washington. That's just not going to happen a ton. Um, So Duke, yeah, wins points in the paint, but Carolina does the work they need to to stop Duke's three-point attack from getting going. And the other thing we I mentioned is Tyrese Proctor. One of the biggest overlooked parts of Carolina's strategy was their matchup decisions. I, I talked a lot about it on our various shows that we had uh, this, this weekend leading up to the game. How, how concerned and curious I always am to keep track of the, uh, of the matchup decisions that both teams go with. I correctly guessed it, it had been a while since Duke had gone with this lineup, but their starting lineup was Jeremy Roach, Tyrese Proctor, Jared McCain, uh, Mark Mitchell, and Kyle Filipowski. They hadn't had that in a while, but understandably, now that they're getting back healthy, they went back to that in this game. And the only reason I point out that I got that right is because I want to point out how wrongly I got the next thing I'm about to say. What I didn't get right was how Carolina chose to match up defensively in the backcourt. As expected, it was Harrison Ingram on Mark Mitchell and Armando Baycott on Kyle Filipowski. But my, my assumption is what I had said was that Cormac Ryan would guard Jared McCain to, to kind of bother him with a little more size. And then you'd have probably um, the experience on experience with, with RJ Davis on Jeremy Roach and then Elliot Cadeau on Tyrese Proctor. And I was worried about that because I thought Proctor's size and his kind of savvy would cause problems for Elliott. But here's what Carolina chose to do, and this I thought was so critical. They put Cormac Ryan on Tyrese Proctor, a 6'5 defender on a 6'5 player in Proctor. That was so, so key and a great decision by the Carolina coaching staff because in many ways, Proctor has been that head of the snake for Duke, and so cutting him off was very key. Now notice, Three other Blue Devils uh, finished with 20-plus points, but none of them were named Tyrese Proctor. And it's not like he was some master facilitator either. Carolina limited him to just two assists, and he had one turnover. So what did it look like statistically then? Coming into this game, here was Tyrese Proctor's points in the last five. 17, 11, 24, 18, and 12. On Saturday, just two points on one of six shooting from the field. This might even be more impressive. His three-point shooting in the last five games, three out of five, two out of seven, four out of 10, four out of six, two out of three. That is really, really good from Proctor from deep. In those five games, he had been shooting 15 of 31% from deep. That's exactly 48.4% from three in his last five. You want to know what he did on Saturday? If you're looking at the box score right now, you know already. He Not only did he not make a three, he didn't even attempt one. Whoo! That, 
my friends, was a major factor in Carolina winning this basketball game. So make sure you do not miss that. So two really, really good things from Carolina defensively. While again, Duke got a lot of what they needed to get. They did not, Carolina did not allow Proctor to get untracked and get going. And they did not allow Duke, any of the Duke players to really do it from the three-point line key factor in this one. Obviously there's going to be adjustments before the round two matchup, but Carolina gets themselves some nice cushion with this win. Speaking of which let's go next to looking at some ACC updates in terms of big picture. I'm recording this um, before we see Monday's um, new AP poll. So I don't know where Carolina will land, um, you know, with, with the loss to Georgia tech, but then everything else that happened, I think it's going to be, they, they certainly won't move up. Purdue won Sunday, um, UConn had won. Um, so Carolina definitely won't move up, but I don't see them falling any f- farther than five. I think they will be three, four, or five when the new things come out. I still think, and especially with Wisconsin losing back-to-back games and Houston losing on Saturday, I think Carolina will definitely hold on to a number one seed in most of the bracketology you see. As for a quick ACC update, What a perfect response this was from Carolina to their first ACC loss. But I say that to say, you now have to follow that up by beating Clemson on Tuesday night. And we'll get ready for that on tomorrow's show. Coach Pat Kilby is going to be joining me. But Clemson is going to come in desperate. They're coming off another loss on Saturday. Um, And so Carolina has got to follow up this win with another win and keep it rolling. Because Carolina, in beating Duke, stretch that ACC cushion back out to two games instead of allowing Duke to to tie things in the loss column and be right there with Virginia really close as well. Um, But so aside from just beating Duke, which is glorious of its own accord, Carolina needed um, this win to give themselves that breathing room back. And also, look, securing a top four seed is getting almost to a point of certainty. If, if all the teams right below Carolina never lost again, which isn't going to happen because they all are going to face each other, but let's just say hypothetically, everyone else stayed at the number of losses they already have. All Carolina would need to do is go six and three in their final nine games, and they would be guaranteed a top four seat. Now, uh, we have higher aspirations than that, and I think Carolina is going to do better than that. I'm just saying at a minimum, they only need to win six of their final nine games to get a, a top four seed and double buy in the ACC tournament. That's the work that they've been doing already in ACC play. Great stuff. As for a net update, we talked about it earlier, but Carolina is ninth as of Sunday's refresh. Obviously, we don't have Mondays yet as I record this, but Carolina now has five quad one wins, nine and four overall in quads one and two combined, and no losses in quads three or four because Georgia Tech has continued to move up. True, even though they lost on Saturday. So um, we'll continue to keep an eye on and monitor that. But as always, the thing I'll just say is Carolina just needs to keep winning, right? Ultimately, you just win the games in front of you and and allow the committee to sort things out. But if you keep winning, can't do anything to you, even with the Georgia Tech loss, even with the Villanova loss not looking as good. Although Villanova is just one spot away from that loss turning back into a quad one loss as well. So great stuff there. Okay, we still got to get to our four corners preview uh, recap, excuse me, and the shady stat of the game. Carolina, they limited their turnovers, and that was another key to this victory. We'll talk about all of that in just a second. 
right after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Look, right now the 49ers have a two and a half point uh, favorite in in the Super Bowl odds at FanDuel. But man, for me, that why why on earth would I ever bet against Patrick Mahomes? That's free money to me. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end your season with a W. Not only just betting on who will win Super Bowl 58. But FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. So new customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, four corners recap, looking at four other critical things from this game that we have not yet talked about. One of the big concerns, number one in Four Corners Recap, one of the big concerns for me coming in this game, and if you were with us in our previews for this game, you know this was true, is I was really concerned about foul trouble, specifically for two guys. Number one was Armando Baycott. The, how would he be able to do keeping with Kyle Filipowski um, and, and moving with him? Inevitably, Duke was going to put him in a lot of screen and roll action. We saw how poorly that went. Two years ago, when Armando had to guard Paolo Bancaro in the first matchup with Duke, I was worried we'd see a repeat of that. The other person was Elliot Cadeau, facing a kind of veteran backcourt from Duke, and what I thought uh, the way Duke would match up would be one of those veterans on Cadeau. But two things. Um, well, well, let's start with Mondo. Let's go back to that, and then we'll we'll take each of them, actually. So um, fr- from the outset of the game, it was very clear to me that Duke wanted to involve Armando in ball screen action. They go to Kyle Filipowski in the paint, very first possession of the game, and he scored, to be fair. But I thought it was critical that Mondo, his his job and his desire was to just defend well, keep verticality, and not foul. And he did it, right? Like, it's so tempting for the body to, to bring your hands down and do those things, but he did a really good job with it. When he was forced into guarding in space. He moved his feet well. You know, Pac, Coach Pat Kilby and I talked about on the uh, on the live postcast how uh, to end the Georgia Tech game, he got switched off on Nathan George, and George got that game-winning, a tough game-winning layup, but a game-winning layup over Mondo. Same thing happened uh, going into halftime on Saturday, and he did the exact same thing, got switched, but was able to get a little piece of the ball, and Carolina was able to maintain their 10-point lead. It was so good that Mondo was so committed to defending hard, but not fouling. And at the end of the game, when everything's said and done, he had only committed two fouls, but he had drawn five fouls. So important. He talked about what, like, so sure, 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. Great. You love to see it. Perhaps more importantly was that he did not get in foul trouble and was able to have that kind of big game for the Tar Heels. The other person was Elliot Cadeau. The nice thing is that Duke actually chose to guard him with Jared McCain, not with Tyrese Proctor or Jeremy Roach. That allowed Cadeau um, to, to not have to deal with that. Um, and not that he couldn't, if it was one of those veteran guys, it's just it would have been a lot more difficult to stay away from foul trouble. And so um, he does. He finishes with just three fouls in this game, and similar to Armando, he drew more fouls than he committed. You love 
to see that. Consequently, between these two guys doing their work of uh, defending without fouling and the rest of the Tar Heels, zero, zero first half free throws for Duke. Meanwhile, for the game, it was another game where the Tar Heels made more free throws than their opponent took. Duke was 9 of 11. Carolina was 18 of 25. Really, really great stuff from both of these guys staying out of foul trouble. Number two in our four corners recap, Cormac Ryan is a veteran, veteran guy, and his experience is so critical. In doing so, that experience allowed him um, on two specific occasions that I want to mention to atone for two miscues immediately after he made them. Let me give these both to you. Number one, and, and by the way, in, this is in addition to the great job he did on Tyrese Proctor, I should say. But number one, first half Carolina's up 10 to 6. Nice pitch ahead from Elliot Cadeau to Cormac Ryan in the right corner. Thought he uh, went a little quick with his shot. Airball, not short. It was like over past the rim. Not good. Then Jared McCain gets a, a bucket on the other end. Uh, Carolina ensuing possession. They almost get turned over. RJ does a great job getting on the floor, poking it to Harrison Ingram, who gets it to Elliot Cadeau, who finds Cormac Ryan in the exact same spot. This is back-to-back -back possessions. Cormac Ryan does not hesitate, but he sets himself buckets. 13 to 8 Tar Heels. That just shows veteran savvy to be able to take that same shot on the very next possession. And you, you might think sitting in your living room like, oh, of course I'm going to shoot that again. Ah, it's harder said than done. Second thing, minute and eight seconds left in this game. Carolina is up by eight, so a comfortable margin, but you got to hit your free throws and not turn it over. Cormac gets an inbound right in the middle of the floor after a Duke bucket. I think it was a Jeremy Roach layup. Two Blue Devils um, kind of surround him. He wasn't able to get a pass away. Carolina has three timeouts. I'm like screaming, timeout, call a timeout. Cormac does not. Instead, he gets tied up. I think it was Mark Mitchell that actually tied him up. Jump ball, possession arrow, Duke. That was a miscue. Cormac should have called a timeout in that scenario. However, he once again makes up for it on the very next play. Duke inbounds out to McCain on top of the key. At this moment, Cormac Ryan is guarding him. McCain gets a step. Uh, but remember, Cormac has a couple inches on him. Cormac from behind gets a block, just one of three for Carolina on the night. Off the backboard, that's critical. It's not just that he got the block. It's that he did it in a way that it was able to stay in bounds. R.J. Davis gets the loose ball. Carolina possession. He's fouled and goes to the free throw line. Carolina, this is a great example, not only for Saturday night, but just in key critical moments throughout this season, because it's only going to get tougher and tougher, uh, that Carolina has these kind of veterans who can make mistakes. But not only that, it's more important how they will respond. And Cormac Ryan responded. And oh, by the way, he finished with a game high plus 10 for the Tar Heels. Great stuff. Number three in our four corners recap, these kind of rivalry matchups, and it's almost like a national championship game or, you know, any big game. It's always about who, who or what is the X factor going to be. You expect RJ Davis and Armando Baycott and Kyle Filipowski to have big games, right? And, and they did each in their own way. But who's going to be that person that delivers something unexpected? You could argue that it was Harrison Ingram's five three-pointers. Sure, great. But for me, Seth Trimble was that player, that X factor that Carolina really, really needed in this one. I mean, there's so many things Seth did. Boy, he got out in transition early and often, and it was great. Carolina was off and running, and I thought it was in, in a big way due to him.
not only was he out and running, but man, that work he's been doing to work on finishing at the rim, finishing through contact, paid off. Seth just continues to get it done. Finishes with 10 points. No other bench. There were three Carolina bench players, three Duke bench players that played in this game. He was the only one of them that had more than four points. Consequently, Carolina outscores Duke. Carolina's bench outscores Duke's 14 to six. That's a big stat in this game. But also, of course, Seth affects the game in other ways. Two assists, zero turnovers. He had a steal. His always great ball hawking defense that he plays. All of these kind of things. His energy, his capability. Man, if Seth can give Carolina, you know, six, eight, 10 points a night, it's just going to do wonders for the Tar Heels. But I thought in this game, Seth Trimble and all his various contributions were the X factor that helped Carolina win. Fourth in our four corners recap is the coaching. You know, we've talked so much about the players, but I thought Carolina did so many things well. We already talked about the matchup decisions they made. I thought that was very wise. You know, there, there was the moment um, where Elliot was whistled for that that foul on on Jared McCain's three point attempt in the closing minute or so of the game, Coach Davis wrapped an arm around him, calmed him down, said, "Hey, it's fine. Next play, move on." Right? Um, I, I thought the way that Carolina was able to get the ball to Armando Baycott was key and critical because teams have been doubling down. They've been making it very difficult to get Armando touches. But you saw it on Carolina's very first possession of the game. Uh, I believe it was RJ Davis and Harrison Ingram set one of those side-by-side double screens, like right just in the lane, just right out front of the rim. Armando goes baseline side, is able to get there before Flip can recover. Flip went top side, uh, went above the screen while Mondo went under it. It gave, I forget who was on the wing, probably Elliot, enough time to deliver it to Mondo, bucket, two to two ball game. And again, Carolina never trailed. Again, from that moment on, there were a couple of ties, but never trailed again. Carolina was able to use that action so much. And I thought that was a great play call that Carolina used. Um, also, interestingly, Carolina, I, I just said a minute ago, only used eight players. And I, I've talked about a good bit. At the end of the day, as you tighten your rotation, you really only need to use eight players. We'll continue to see spot minutes from Paxson Wojcik, from Zayden High, maybe even some Okonkwo here or there. But chiefly, it's going to be the five starters, the Jalen's and Seth Trimble. And we saw that uh, this was the, f- I think the first game, uh, somebody fact checked me. I could be wrong and I- I'll need to go back and look myself. I'm just going off the cuff here. I think this was the first time that Coach Davis has only played those eight. And as you would expect, because of that, it was the lowest bench usage in terms of minutes played for the season. Carolina used uh, their bench 15.98% of the game. That was the first time below 16 so, uh, but um, I, th- I thought it was wise and I thought it was good to shorten the rotation to that level in this type of game. There are going to be other games where Carolina can expand back out, but you do that in other games so that in this game, you can shorten the bench. Shady stat of the game. Boy, oh boy, Carolina's ability to limit turnovers was key, key, key. The fewer turnovers you have, the more shots you can get up. The more shots you get up, the more points you're going to score. And that's what you got to do to win basketball games. I make this joke a lot, but it's so true. First half, Carolina only commits one turnover. Man, that's so important. Second half, they committed more, but it was only four. So five total for the game. Duke committed six in the first half for the game. Duke committed, I believe it was 11 turnovers. Um, Obviously, I could, I've got the 
stat sheet right here. Yes, 11 turnovers for Duke. So that was really, really important. Consequently, Carolina wins the points off turnover battles 19 to 7. These five turnovers Carolina had tied their season low, and that was Charleston Southern. The previous low they had in an ACC game was eight. So Carolina's ability to hold on to the ball in a high possession game, man, chef's kiss, great job. Very quickly before we get out of here, let me give you a weekend wrap up. And man, unfortunately, outside of uh, this, this basketball win that we're celebrating, it was a lot of less than desirable results. The women's basketball team, unfortunately, lost versus Virginia Tech on Sunday afternoon. A great effort. Got the game to overtime. But uh, just too much Virginia Tech in overtime. They win 70 to 61. Carolina went to a zone late. It helped get a steal and game tying bucket in transition. A great finish at the rim, by the way. But unfortunately, Virginia Tech was able to take advantage of that zone, buried a couple threes in overtime, and, and then that was it. Wrestling lost at NC State Friday night, 33 to 6. Gymnastics team lost at Pitt on Friday. Men's tennis playing Illinois for a second time on the young season. Lost Saturday 2-4. to four. Um, Track had a couple things going on this weekend. I actually don't have results for that as of right now. Um, and then women's golf is at the UCF Challenge. I only have the day one results in from Saturday, but great stuff there. Megan Stryker shot an 8 under 64. Finished her round uh, four straight birdies. Sets a new Carolina record which was previously seven under 65. Great stuff. Um, Heels had the lead after uh, round one of three that was going to be played. Again, I don't have the second or third day's results as of yet. So hopefully uh, a better week ahead for Carolina sports all around, and, and we'll wait to see on that. All right, folks, great Monday to be back together after a massive win on Saturday. Again, very quick turnaround. Clemson at home on Tuesday, so we will be ready for that. Thank you so much for joining again. Come hop in the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community. It's so great. Come for the heels, stay for the cord. We'd love to have you there. Subscribe to the show, if you would, on video and audio. Leave us a rating or review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. It's a great place to do it. Smash the like button if you're watching so we know you are here. Oh, man, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Can't wait to talk to you tomorrow, but until then, peace.